Good morning, Bayshore. Welcome to our online service today. We are so thrilled you're joining us, and we just love our online campus. Here at Bayshore, we have uh, actually four campuses now. We have our Millsburg campus, where I'm speaking from. We have our Rehoboth campus, and then we have our Fenwick Island campus, and now our brand new online campus that many of you are joining us with. So thank you so much for watching today. We're in a brand new series starting today called Hopeless, Hopeless, and the less is crossed out. So in this series, we're going to be talking about hope, and I don't know of any other time in our history where Americans need hope. We need hope and we need encouragement. So today we're going to talk about hope and the importance of hope. You know, hope is not an option. It's an essential. It's an essential. You know, sometimes when you buy a new vehicle, maybe buy a new truck or a new car, you know, you got the option of getting leather seats and heated seats. And, you know, that's an option. And if you've ever had leather seats, heated seats, oh, my gosh, that's an amazing, uh, great option that you have. But it's an option. It's not an essential. You know, one of the things that is an essential if you buy a new car uh, or a new truck would be a steering wheel. Well, hope is like a steering wheel. You know, you can live without uh, you can live without leather seats, you can live without heated seats, but you can't live without a steering wheel, and you can't live without hope. Hope is very, very important. Someone wrote this. They said that human beings can live 40 days without water, four, or 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air, but we cannot live four seconds without hope. I'm sure you've heard that quote before, and it's very, very true because we need hope more than ever. You know, what I think hope does for all of us is that hope gives us the capacity to be motivated and to continue to, to try and to work in life. And I think when you lose your hope, what really happens to all of us, if we lose our hope, what happens to us is we lose the capacity to just have tenacity and, and the will to want to go forward in life. I heard about an uh, incredible experience, uh, experiment back in the 1950s at Johns Hopkins University. Famous study. This study was done by a gentleman by the name of Kurt Ricker. And Kurt Ricker was a famous doctor uh, in Johns Hopkins. And he did this test, this experiment that involved rats. And uh, it's a little bit of a gruesome uh, experiment, but the experiment went like this. He took 12 domesticated rats. 12 of those white domesticated rats. And what he did was, one by one, he put them in a jar full of, uh, half full of water. And he wanted to see how long they would swim and survive. And so he put uh, each of these rats in there, one at a time. And the first three rats kind of swam around for a couple minutes. And they just basically gave up after about three or four minutes. And they would swim around the top and then kind of dive. And then they would be over. But the other nine domesticated rats survived for days. They actually swam for days and survived for days. So he was thinking about this. And he thought, you know, wild rats have an incredible capacity to be incredible swimmers. So they had captured and had in cages these wild rats that, rats that had them in uh, cages for a while. And they took 34 wild rats that were notorious, notorious for, uh, for swimming very, very well and very strongly. And they put these rats in these jars, same kind of jars, half filled with water, put all 34 in these jars. And do you know that all 34 of those wild rats that had been in captivity, 
all 34 of them uh, died in just a matter of minutes. They didn't have any will to live. And what uh, Kurt Richter came up with is he believed that because they were in captivity, they had sort of lost their hope and their capacity to, to fight and to live. So he did another experiment. You know, he had a lot of rats, so he did a lot of the experiments. He did another experiment. He took another group of wild rats, and he put them uh, in the same jars, half filled with water, and they would swim around for a while. And right before they would kind of give up, he would pick them up and hold them for a few minutes. He'd pick them up and hold them for a few minutes and kind of rescue them. And then he would put them back in to those jars, and then they would swim for days and survive. And what he concluded was when... He eliminated hopelessness in those rats. They had the will to swim. Now, of course, you and I aren't rats. We aren't that at all. But I think that experiment really shows us something about hope. When we lose our hope and we lose our capacity to want to try, uh, it's because when we lose our hope, there's something in us that we just give up and we don't try anymore. And I think as we've gone through these really challenging times with COVID-19 and everything we've been going going through in America, I think it's very, very easy for us to kind of lose our hope and quit trying. So we're going to talk in this series about the importance of not losing your hope, getting your hope back, being encouraged and being strong in the Lord, and just you'll keep kicking and keep swimming. I want to read a couple of scriptures to you that I think are encouraging before we get to our main text today. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 says, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere, for when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your hope. And then you've all heard this verse of Scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's uh, really originally spoken to the Israelites who were in captivity, uh, and they were in bondage in Babylon. They were starting to give up their hope. And here's what the Lord said to them in Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, He said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Hey, listen, God plans to give you a future. God plans something very special to your future. So maybe you feel like the rats in the experiment. You know, you feel like you've been in a cage. You feel like you have, you've lost your motivation. You've lost your will. You've lost your capacity to try anymore. Or maybe you feel like the Israelites in ancient Babylon in captivity where the Lord had to speak to them that he had a plan to prosper them and a plan to bless them. And I want you to know today, the Lord has a great plan to prosper you and to bless you and take care of you in the future. Now, I want to read a story in the Old Testament that is one of my favorite stories. It's about King David, and it's about a time that he went through a very difficult time, and it would be easy for David to lose his hope in this time. And uh, we're going to read this story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we'll read the first eight verses. And then as we go along this message, we'll refer, refer to some other verses in this passage. But 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They had killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinam 
and of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the, of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. This is a story where David, uh, who is not yet king, could have, become, could have become incredibly discouraged and distraught. Uh, now, here's what's happened. Let me give you a little background of the story. What's happened is David has been uh, under siege. He's been, he's been being chased by King Saul for years. I mean, it's probably been five, six years that he's lived like a fugitive. He's lived in caves. He's slept out under the stars. He's constantly been on the run. He can't stay uh, one place two nights in a row. And David has just gotten weary. He's gotten weary. If you look at chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, you'll see where David's just kind of weary. And he came up with this plan, this decision to go, go join himself with the Philistines, which were the enemies of Israel, and sort of become an ally with them and hide away in, in the areas of the Philistines so that King Saul couldn't pursue him anymore. Now, this really probably wasn't the best strategy. It probably wasn't the best thing to do. Uh, but David is just weary, and David is just tired, and David is just exhausted. You know when you're mentally exhausted, and when you're emotionally exhausted, and you're just physically wore out? You know you have a tendency, and I have a tendency, to make very bad choices when we're tired and exhausted. So make sure when you're kind of emotionally exhausted and you're mentally kind of spent and you're just sort of wore out that you're very careful about the decisions you make at that time. Because when you are under pressure, and I think what David was doing in this story, if you look at the whole end of 1 Samuel, I think what David was doing is he's been under pressure for so long that he was trying to escape the pressure. He was trying to escape the pressure. Have you ever been under pressure, been discouraged, been sort of like uh, wore out and emotionally exhausted, and you just, you're just tired of the pressure? You're tired of the responsibility. You're tired of, of all the long hours at work. You're tired of all the bills you have to pay. You're tired of all the responsibility you have, and you just want to escape from that pressure. And I think that this is what's happening to David. So David makes this really poor decision to join himself with the Philistines because he's under pressure. Hey, listen, let me give you a little principle here, very important principle for us. When we're under pressure, we tend to make bad decisions which lead to more pressure. Here's a little graph for you. Pressure plus poor decision equals greater pressure. Now, you, you see it in sports. When you see a quarterback that's being blitzed and he's under pressure and the, and the linemen, the defensive linemen are coming on him and he's in trouble and he'll make a foolish pass and he'll throw an interception because he's under pressure. And this is what David is doing. David's under pressure. David's under stress. He's tired of being stressed out. And so he's trying to escape the stress. And so he makes a foolish decision. 
I was watching a, a documentary on the, on the Clintons a while back on Netflix. I, it was on there. I thought it was sort of interesting. I'm always interested in history and politics. And I was watching this, uh, this uh, documentary about the Clintons. And I know that uh, some people find uh, that really uh, they, they have trouble with certain political people. But I always want to learn from everybody. So I just happened to be watching this. And I was watching the whole, you know, kind of thing around the Clintons' political life. And it came up to that incident where Bill Clinton uh, had the affair with Monica Lewinsky. All of us remember that. If you are, uh, you know, if you've been around any time at all, you remember that incident. And it turned into an impeachment trial and Ken Starr and all of that. And uh, they get to that point and they interview Bill Clinton. And I felt as he was talking about it that he was remorseful about it and, and, uh, and all the stuff that it had caused. And the interviewer asked him this question. The interviewer asked him, asked him uh, she said to him, with you being president and everything going on, why did you risk doing something so foolish? What a great question. I thought that was a great question. I kind of sat up on the edge of the couch there because I thought that was a great question because I think that's something we need to learn about. You know what he said? He said something very interesting, and I think we should think about this. And this is not to uh, uh, you know, take away responsibility from him for this, but he explained th it this way. He said he had been under a time of an extremely long pressure, and he said he described it as if he had been in a, a, a boxing match that lasted 15 rounds, and he wanted something to take his mind off of his pressure. And boy, I'll tell you what, that decision, terrible decision, awful decision, hurt his family, hurt the country, led to a long, year-long impeachment process, and you know what happened? Under pressure made a bad decision, and it equaled more pressure. It happens in our, in our lives, too. You know, sometimes you're, you're under pressure, and, you know, you just need some relief, and so you, you get the credit card out, and you start shopping. You start going shopping, and you buy things you can't afford, and, and those bills start coming in, you have more pressure. Or maybe, you know, your car breaks down, and you're a little down, a little discouraged, and so you go buy a car. Because you're kind of burnt out, you're tired. You buy a car that you can't afford, and then the payments come, and then you have more pressure. So remember that principle. I'm going to put it on the screen one more time. Uh, pressure plus poor decisions equal greater pressure. So David, in this story, he was under pressure from King Saul. And because he was under pressure from King Saul, he was tired of the pressure. He made a poor decision. And that poor decision ultimately led to greater pressure. A very, very important principle that we need to remember. And it's something we always need to recall. So here's, here's what happens in the story. The Bible says that David was away with the Philistines. They had been called away to help them in a battle against the Israelites, which is a whole interesting story in and of itself. And while he was away, the Philistines had given him, by the way, a little town called Ziklag, a little country town. wasn't a really great, nice big, country, nice big town. It was just a little country town that he and his men lived in. And while he was away, another bad decision, while he was away... Uh, the Bible says that the Amalekites came and they sacked the city because there was nobody there to protect the city. So they sacked the city, they burned the city, they took all the supplies of David and his men, and then they took their wives and their children captive and took them away, 80 miles away, uh, as they captured these, these uh, loved ones of King David and all of his men, his 600 men. And so when David comes back, 
When he gets back to Ziklag, he, he, as he's getting closer to the city, he and his men, they could see the smoke coming up from the embers in the city because the city's been burned with fire. And when they get to the city, they find their city burned with fire, destroyed, and then they realize that all of their families have been captured and taken exile by these invading Amalekite armies. And the Bible says that men, men and all these people, all these soldiers of David and David himself, they wept and they were filled with sorrow and they were filled with distress and they were so sorrowful for what had happened. And then something happened in the story. The Bible says that they, the men began to talk about stoning David. They began to talk about stoning David. Now this had to be the nadir, the lowest point in David's life. When the men that had been fighting with him, these 600 men that adored him, that cared about him, that loved him, that had been at his side for years supporting him, that believed in him, all of a sudden they turned on David, and David is all by himself. He's all alone. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel completely abandoned, where you feel completely alone? You feel completely isolated. David doesn't have one friend. David doesn't have anybody standing with him. David doesn't have anybody aside. He is just surrounded with criticism. He's surrounded with the anger of these soldiers that have lost their, 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 their spouses and their children. These men are angry at David, and David is all by himself. Hey, listen, there's a principle in this. Here's an interesting principle. Whenever there's a crisis... We have to find a villain. Whenever there's a crisis, we have to find a villain. Have you noticed that? When something bad's happening, when there's a crisis, we've got to find somebody to blame. And here these men are blaming David, and they're so angry at David, and they're pointing their finger at David. This is human nature. Human nature, whenever there's a crisis, whenever things are going bad, whenever things are ugly, whenever things are dark, whenever things are terrible we got to find whose fault it is. Whose fault is it? How about during these times that we're living in, the COVID-19 times? You know, we're always trying to find somebody to blame for this. You know, you know the president's not doing a good job, or the governor's not doing a good job, and, uh, or the politicians aren't doing a good job, or the, uh, the, you know, the people aren't doing a good job. We are always trying to find somebody to blame. And, and no doubt there's times when we have to be accountable and people need to be responsible for their actions. But at the end of the day, blame is like trying to dig a hole with an invisible shovel. Blame is like trying to dig a hole with an imaginary shovel. Or blame is like running in place and, you know, you get your heart rate up, but you don't go anywhere. Blame is really not the solution. I, I have a great quote that I want to read to you about blame, and I'm just going to take me a moment here to find it. But here's a great quote about blame that I think really makes a lot of sense. Uh, Catherine Pulsiver, Catherine, Catherine Pulsiver says, focus on fixing the problem, never focus on the blame. Problems are only resolved when solutions are solved. I think that's incredible. Focus on fixing the problem, never focus on the blame. Problems are only resolved when solutions are solved. One of the things I believe during the COVID-19 times, I believe this is very complicated, situation and, and everybody's still trying to figure this out and I think we need to really not spend a lot of energy trying to blame somebody for this problem but we need to come together we need to find solutions we need to work together because blame 
is not productive. Blame is not productive. It's not productive in your family. If you're trying to blame somebody when something goes wrong, it's not productive in our country. It's not productive in a church. It's not productive in a business. Blame is wasted time. And so in this story, we see these people blaming David, and David's all alone, and he's all, he's all isolated. Can you imagine what that must have felt like when he was isolated and nobody was standing with him? Can you imagine what David must have felt like when, when his, his best friends and the people were, the, his, his support system had completely collapsed and nobody was standing with him? I think it happens to every one of us. There's times in our life when we feel like we're alone. There's times in our life when we feel like nobody's there for us. And I think there's some reasons that we go through that sometimes. You know, one of the reasons I think we go through that sometimes is sometimes God just wants us to depend on Him. You know, you know it's possible to just make your friends and make your, your, your buddies, your, they, you can make them your God to take care of you. And you can always just look solely to your friends to support you. And you know, friends are supposed to support each other. The Bible says that a brother is born for a time of adversity. And, and friends are there to support us. And, and our small groups and all that, people are there to support us. But I can tell you this, that every single one of us at some point in our life will come to a point where we feel like our support system has collapsed. And nobody's there for us. And David was there all by himself. And as he was by himself, the Bible says he found strength of the Lord. Let me read a, a passage of Scripture to you in, in, the book of, uh, in, in the book of Psalms that talks about uh, where we find our comfort, where we find our strength. It says, it's better, it's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in humans. Better to rely on the Lord than depend on princes. A very important principle for us to remember that. So in this story, the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord. King James Version, I was raised on the King James Version. I grew up in a traditional church, was a little boy, and we always had the King James Version. There's still some King James verses kind of rattle around in my head sometimes. And this verse, uh, uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 in the King James says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, sometimes you are the only cheerleader that you got. And you got you to gotta cheer yourself up. you got to cheer yourself up. And you got to just say, hey, listen, the Lord is with me. The Lord hasn't left me. The Lord hasn't forsaken me. I am not by myself. The Lord is with me. The Lord is going to strengthen me. It says in the book of Psalms, when your heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. Psalm 125 says that as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is around his people. So the Bible says that David encouraged himself or found strength in the Lord, the modern translations uh, the modern translations say. Now, the Hebrew word for David found strength in the Lord, the Hebrew word for David found strength in, is the word that means to seize or grab a hold of. To seize or grab a hold of. And it's used in uh, Genesis 19, verse 6, where uh, Lot and his family were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angel grabbed a hold of their arms and pulled them out. So the, the Hebrew word means to grab a hold of. So when you're going under and you feel alone and you feel discouraged and you feel overwhelmed, make sure that you grab a hold of the Lord. What are you, what are you grabbing a hold of when you're under pressure and when you're overwhelmed? 
David, while he's all alone, he's grabbing a hold of the Lord and he's finding strength. His friends and the men that had stood with him for years that were now against him, these are wonderful friends, but they were a finite resource. David is now reaching and grabbing a hold of an infinite resource. He has the Lord helping him. He has the Lord strengthening him. What are you grabbing a hold of when you're under pressure? Are you grabbing a hold of a bottle? Are you grabbing a hold of a needle? Are you grabbing a hold of a pill? Are you grabbing a hold of an illicit relationship? What are you grabbing a hold of when you're under pressure? And the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord, and he, he, see, he sees the Lord, and he grabbed a hold of the Lord, and the Lord gave him strength, and the Lord gave him insight, and the Lord gave him the ability. I was in the uh, emergency room this week with uh, someone in our family that had uh, a concerning accident. And I'm sitting outside the, the emergency room. I couldn't go in, uh, of course, of COVID-19. I'm sitting out there leaning against the wall. And I just felt overwhelmed because I was just so worried about this individual. And I was out there, and I just was, all I could think of these terrible things that could happen. And, and I was just overwhelmed. And I just began to, began to pray sitting outside there in front of the hospital uh, emergency room. And as I began to pray, and I just asked the Lord to, to intervene and to help and for the Lord to do something, all of a sudden I felt myself plugging into something that was greater than myself. And I remember what it said in Psalms, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. And I began to experience that grace. And the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord. He found strength when everything else was going away. Here's what we need to do in these uncertain times and the crazy times we're living in. Let me just say this to all of us here at the Bayshore family, those of you that are part of the Bayshore online family. Let me just say this to you. We are leaning upon a source that is infinite. And the Lord is going to help us. And the Lord is going to get us through this time. And even though you may feel alone today, even though you may feel isolated today, even though you may feel like nobody's with you, I'm here to tell you the Lord is with you. And it says in the New Testament, if the Lord be for us, who can be against us? The Lord is for you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is sustaining you. And the Lord is helping you. Now, let me just give you a couple other little things out of this story that I love. You know, in every... In every crisis, there's always something good. In every crisis, there's something good. You have to look for it sometimes. But in every crisis, there is something good. Now, if you look at this story, David's sitting there by himself, and this, the smoke of the, the, of the city that's been burned down is all around him. You can just see the ashes and the smoke coming up around David. And his men are angry, and everybody's weeping. It's a depressing scene. But if you read the text carefully, there's something very, very special and something good in the story. What is good in the story is the Amalekites, they did burn down the city, they did take the supplies, but they did not kill the families of the men or of David. They took them captive. And the Amalekites are known to be very ruthless people, and they were known to just sort of be brutal, and they could have easily killed all of David's uh, uh, family and all of his children and all of the children and family of David's men, but they didn't do that. And so there was something good in the story. There's something good. Every time you're in a crisis, ask God to give you discernment to see what is good. When you think about what we're going through in COVID-19, let the Lord give you discernment about that which is good. There's something good happening in your life right now. There's something positive happening in your life right now. There's something incredibly good happening in your life right now. 
I play this uh, game with my grandkids called Huckabucka Beanstalk. I don't know if anybody played that as a kid. It's where you hide a, you know, a little pencil or a little figurine, and you have part of it showing, and then everybody looks for it, and you tell them if they're hot or cold, and when they see it, they say Huckabucka Beanstalk. I played that as a kid. I don't know if it's just a family thing for us or if everybody does that. But we used to, we used to play that game growing up, and I taught my grandkids that. And they always want to play Huckabucka Beanstalk. And they always want to find that thing that's hidden. And so they go around the house, and they're trying to find it. I say, oh, you're cold. And then they get where it's hot, and they'll see the pencil that we hid and sticking out you know, of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the couch or something. They'll see the figurine hidden behind something, and they'll see it, and they'll find it. So in every crisis... You need to find that which is good. Find that which is good and go for it and look for it. Uh, Very, very incredible thing. Every, Every downside has an upside in it. Every downside in your life has an upside. And you got to find that. you got to look for it, and it's there. I remember years ago, I was with a, a group of uh, uh, people from the church. We were all playing volleyball, and as we were playing volleyball, uh, this one lady, very sweet lady in our church, she was probably in her mid-30s. She had a very nice big uh, diamond ring that uh, the, as we were playing volleyball, evidently the ball hit the, the diamond, and the diamond came out of her ring. And then she noticed, oh, her diamond was missing, and she was just frantic. And so we all got down. As it was starting to get dark, it was at Trapon State Park where we did this and it was starting to get dark. We all got on the ground, and we're feeling in the grass for the diamond. And we finally came across that diamond, and I happened to be the one that found it, so I was a big hero that night, and I found the diamond. And in every crisis, you got to get on your knees, and you got to find the diamond because there's something good that's happening right now. The Bible says, this is one of my favorite parts of the story, David was proactive. He did something. He was proactive. And he, uh, he said to the priest, hey, uh, come and you know, uh, discern for the Lord if we should go pursue these. And instead of just waiting in Ziklag and just kind of wringing his hands and hoping it would get better, David got up and he did something. And he, and he got direction for the priest. And then they pursued the, uh, the enemy. And as they're pursuing the enemy, they, they find this Egyptian that was a part of the group before that was a slave. And this Egyptian had been abandoned. And as they're moving through the countryside, they find this Egyptian. And he knew exactly where the people were. And they go 80 miles and they recover everything. They recover everything from, from the raid that, take, that took place that they had experienced. And uh, here, here's something so important for you and I to remember. When we're kind of stuck and, and we're kind of like in the mully grubs and we're kind of down and we're losing our hope, listen, we need to stand up. We need to be proactive. We need to take action. We need to do something because God blesses people that stand up and move forward. And David didn't just sort of stay in his pity. David didn't stay in his sorrow. David didn't stay in his darkness. David stood up and David moved forward and David made a difference and David turned the situation around. Very important for us to remember that. Sometimes we're waiting for God to do something. We're waiting for God to do something. And when we start to move, when we start to move, we stand up and we move out, God begins to work because as they are moving in the countryside and they found that Egyptian that knew right where the, uh, the raiding party was, God was blessing them providentially, but that blessing was in tandem with them moving and then doing something. So what does that mean for you? That means if you're tired of your job and you're unhappy, hey, listen, get in your car, go to the community college. Sign up for some training. Get some classes. Go to vocational school. Do something about your predicament. 
Do something about your predicament. If your health is bad, hey, you feel like I can't go to the gym. Hey, listen, start walking. Walk a half a mile every day and then walk a mile. Just begin to be proactive because God blesses proactive people. David got up and he did something. David did something very, very special. There's a great quote by Steve Davis. And uh, Steve Davis said this, I thought was really good. And uh, he said, he said this. He said, it's not, it, it may not be your fault for being down, but it's got to be your fault for not getting up. Wow. I'm going to read that again. It may not be your fault for being down, but it's got to be your fault for not getting up. So David got up. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He found strength in the Lord. He found courage in the Lord. He encouraged himself. And then he, he became proactive and he moved out and began to do something. He began to move out and do something. He found the good in the situation. He discovered that his, his wife, his wives, and his children were still alive. And he moved out and he did something incredible. And if you read the story, the great, this is a great, great story. You read the story, they, they came upon those Amalekites and they, they defeated the Amalekites. They got all of their wives, all of their children back, got all the supplies back. There was nothing that they didn't get back. They got everything back that the Amalekites had taken from them. And God restored them. And let me just say this. I just felt as I was preparing this message, the importance of saying this to all of you today. To say this to you. We're going through times that we're wondering if we're ever going to get our life back again. We're wondering if we're ever going to get things back again. If we're ever going to, if our job and our social life is ever going to be like it was before. And I'm here to tell you, we are going to get our lives back again. We are going to get uh, our, our, our lives back in a, in a very, very elevated and wonderful way. But you know what? David got everything back, but he got something extra. And what he got extra was, is he got to see, even though he got everything back, he got to see God's faithfulness, and he learned how God took care of him in that time. So we're going to get everything back. The Lord's going to bless us again. The Lord's going to bless Bayshore Community Church. God's going to bless our businesses again. God's going to bless you again. God's going to bless your children again. God's going to bless your, your children's education again. God's going to bless you again. You're his children. He loves you but you're going to get something else in addition. You're going to get a story. You're going to get a story of God's faithfulness during these times. And you're going to have a story to tell. The other day, Karen and I went to uh, a brand new uh, restaurant in Rehoboth. It's on uh, Route 1 called the Atlantic Social. And here's a picture of the restaurant. I think I have a picture of it. Beautiful restaurant. And it's called the Atlantic Social. I'd really highly recommend it. We had a great meal there. I got a great salad with, uh, with tuna on it. Karen got fish tacos. They just have incredible food. I just loved our time there. The, the manager came and spent some time with us and talked to us. And so we had our food. It was so good. And it was just, you know, it's good, you know, to go out to a restaurant. We had our mask on when we went in and all that. And there was social distancing going on and all that. But isn't it good just to have people bring you food? Isn't that a good thing? I just love people bringing me food. And it was just good to see that again. So after we got done our meal, the, the uh, manager came say, uh, well, actually the waitress came and said, do you want, uh, you want some dessert? And we said, no, we're, we're not going to have any dessert. We got plenty. We're full. And, and then the manager came by, you want some dessert? No, we're good. You know, we just want our bill. We're good. And then the manager came and she had a little box and she gave us uh, a big piece of chocolate pie. Here's a big piece. It was the most amazing chocolate pie. She said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I just want you to have this chocolate pie. 
So she gave us this amazing chocolate pie. And uh, I mean, Karen and I almost bit each other's fingers off trying to get that. We were like eating it so fast, we just couldn't eat it fast enough. And it was just such a wonderful thing. So I highly recommend this restaurant. This sermon's brought to you by uh, Atlantic Social Restaurant. Hey, it's a great restaurant. But you know what? We had a great meal. God blessed us, but we got something extra. We got something extra. And during this time, you're going to get something extra. God's going to take care of you. He's going to restore everything, but he's going to give you something extra. He's going to give you a great story of his faithfulness. And I'm so glad this story is in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30, where God gave us a story of a man that was all alone, that seemed hopeless, and God intervened and restored his life. And God's going to do that for you as well. Hey, I love you guys. I want to pray for you right now. And if you're at home, would you just lift your hands and ask the Lord to help you? If you're at your kitchen, if you're at your uh, bedroom, wherever you are, your living room, I want you just to pray with me right now. We're going to pray God's grace on you. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of hope. You're the God of compassion, the God of all hope, the God of all mercy, the God of all strength. And we thank you that even though Maybe some people listening today feel isolated and they feel alone. They are not alone. You are going to be their strength. You're going to strengthen them. Help them to stand back up on their feet. Help them to get moving again. And Lord, as they move out in confidence and as they move out in faith, begin to work miracles in their life. And we thank you for taking care of them. We bless the Bayshore online family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen.